Parkinson's is one of the key areas that I got very, very interested because of the impact the symptoms are brought for individuals. There will be thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of people across the world who will be using the device. So scaling while we make sure that the quality is there is going to be my absolute focus. Are you interested in becoming a cyborg in the future? Am I interested? I actually am quite interested of like, how can we maximize our brain? First, a quick message from our sponsor. Sourcing tech talent and delivering your software roadmap shouldn't be difficult. That's why DZ connects high growth companies with some of the best pre-vetted developers from across the world. Whether supporting your in-house team, building your dream dev squad, or delivering a project end-to-end, DZ's unique model is trusted by businesses globally to help them rapidly execute software development. DZ is offering all UKTN listeners a 10% discount on their first engagement. Go to dz.com UKTN to access quality development teams today. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly conversation with founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies. Each episode, we will talk through the founders' personal journey, their vision for their business and their views of the wider tech industry. And I'm very pleased to say that joining me today is Lucy Young, the CEO and co-founder of Charco Neurotech. Welcome, Lucy. Hello, Jane. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good very much. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, let's get started, first of all, by talking a bit about you. You're obviously a very young woman uh, and you're already a successful entrepreneur. I believe you've won some awards. So did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Was that always part of the plan? That's a great question. I have to say that no, actually, I had no idea that I'll be actually a founder of a medical device company. The story goes on to, I started uh, um, studying in Imperial College and Royal College of Art as an innovation design engineer. And it was very much of the research projects that we were working on that created such a big impact that kind of led for people with Parkinson's asking us, okay, so what's next? Can you bring the device for us so we can use it? And that's how everything kind of started. So we started visiting Enterprise Lab, which is the arm of uh, Imperial College and starting the journey of uh, becoming entrepreneurial. So, yeah. And it's interesting that you've been spun out of Imperial College. Obviously, we hear a lot about university spin-outs. Cambridge is probably the most famous in terms of tech spin-outs. What was the support like from Imperial in terms of, you know, you had this idea and you wanted to commercialize it? Was it was it good? Oh, absolutely. So um, I think Shaco is a unique in a way that we were able to really utilize the ecosystem of the institutes and universities and hospitals in the UK. So not only we got a great support from Imperial College, we've got also investment and also a support from Royal College of Arts, as well as we learned a lot of business from Cambridge Judge Business School. So we started um, from Imperial College and Royal College of Art as a research project, but really quickly moved on to Cambridge Judge Business School, where we were able to uh, learn how to set up the company and so on. So, yeah, we were very lucky to be able to be in this ecosystem. And why did you choose Parkinson's? Was that something that had sort of special meaning to you or why was the device based around that particular condition? Sure. I was always um, using technology to improve the quality of life for long-term conditions. So I was looking into multiple sclerosis, people who had paralysis and so on. 
And Parkinson's is one of the key areas that I got very, very interested because of the impact the symptoms are brought for individuals. Um, it was very difficult for individuals to, you know, not being able to do things that they ab um, absolutely enjoyed, like going for a walk, making a cup of tea and so on. So we realized that it was such a difficult condition for individuals and it's the fastest growing neurodegenerative condition in the world. So that's why we got into it. And does it have a special meaning now that um, that we've been working with uh, amazing people with Parkinson's, their family members and so on. So over the years, they became such a big part of our lives. And we constantly talk about how can we make you know their lives easier and improve the quality of life for them. Now, Parkinson's affects some 10 million people around the world. Tell me a bit about the condition and the symptoms and how your device, more specifically, helps alleviate them. Of course. So one of the things that we asked people with Parkinson's a lot was, what are the most difficult parts of your symptoms? And they often say going for a walk, you know, the simple task that they were able to do without um, difficulties, writing a card and so on, became really difficult for them to carry out their day-to-day -day life. So we really focus on the movement symptoms of Parkinson's to start with, but now we are really expanding into total care of Parkinson's. The effort of um, actually helping with the movement symptoms where people with Parkinson's find their movements stiff, rigid, and they and lose balance and gait issues. We developed a wearable medical device Q1, which is currently available for people with Parkinson's in the UK. We are scaling up the production at the moment. It provides two uh, scientifically validated phenomena, which is focused vibrotactile stimulation and cueing. There has been lots of studies around focus stimulation where it was um, reducing the beta oscillation that is increased for people with Parkinson's, um, meaning that it was able to help with the stiffness, rigidity side of the movement. Whereas the cueing also studied quite a lot in the academia is providing either auditorio cueing or visual cueing and so on can really help with their um, especially freeze of gait, which is one of the most difficult uh, symptoms for people with Parkinson's and what the device is doing is it's providing that two stimulation into one device so people can use it in their day-to-day -day life. And describe the device for me, you know, what does it look like? It's like almost like a coin looking device. It sits on a sternum using a medical adhesive. It uses a Velcro type of adhesive where you can uh, place the device and take it off for charging. It's a very light device that um, you can press a button to get the stimulation. So it's a very intuitive, user-friendly device because of uh, um, we wanted to make it as easy as possible for people with Parkinson's. You can adjust the stimulation through the application as well, where you can set up a medical medication alert. Tell me a bit more about the science behind it. I believe that goes all the way back to the horse and cart. Yes, that is correct. So from 19th century, it's the brilliant story of Professor Charcot, where we found the story of the Professor Charcot is um, the father of neurology, where he realized that people who come to him on a carriage ride had improved symptoms of Parkinson's than him actually visiting them. So in 19th century, what he did is even before all the medical interventions came out, he created this whole body stimulation of vibrating chair to treat the symptoms of Parkinson's. So that was the starting. Over the years, there were lots of studies around 
whole body stimulation, focus stimulation, vibral, tactile, um, visual, but it's really this focus vibral tactile stimulation that has been shown a great improvement as well as um, the, the ease of use. So yeah, the story uh, is incredible where they started uh, years ago. And, and what's the science now? You know, what, what, what kind of peer review have you got for your device? Yes, we've got lots of studies, including um, case studies, whether it's a immediate effectiveness or long-term effectiveness. We've got a randomized control trial that happened in Austria as well. We've got a feasibility study. Um, the reason why we've got lots of study is that it's such a non-invasive device that helps with across the symptoms of Parkinson's. So some of the studies will be especially looking into the gait, whereas lots of studies were looking into the unified Parkinson's disease rating scale, which is the golden standard of Parkinson's. Some of them are looking into freeze of gait, some of them are quality of life. The academic are, they're learning more about how can the device benefit more symptoms. So there are lots of studies going on. We are looking into long-term effectiveness. So it's a quite exciting time for not only the medical device company ourselves, but also the academia where we are looking into other symptoms. But also um, recently, the clinicians and the researchers studied, uh, started to look into the other conditions rather than just Parkinson's. So Parkinson's plus syndrome is we just kind of started looking into orthostatic trauma. So the potential is greater than we initially started, which is very exciting. And April is actually Parkinson's Awareness Month. And it's fantastic that this condition is getting so much more awareness. One of the people that's perhaps um, helping raise awareness is my ex-colleague and friend Rory Keflin-Jones, who has Parkinson's himself. And I spoke to him before I spoke to you, actually. And one of the things that he was saying to me was that one of the sad things, I suppose, about Parkinson's research is that the main drug that's used to treat the condition is now sort of 60 years old. And although there are some more promising drugs in development, it could be sort of five or more years away before anything comes along. So what, where would you say we are in terms of research and potential cures for this debilitating condition? If I may say that I remember talking with uh, people with Parkinson's where they were uh, frustrated, like exactly what you were mentioned. But as a, a medical device company, and we talk a lot with Parkinson's specialists and researchers, I have to say from 2014, when I first started from Imperial, the, um, the over the years, amount of more people around research or, you know, bioengineers, um, all of them getting into Parkinson's, I have to say it's very, very important insight because the, the importance of helping people with Parkinson's, whether it is pharmacological or assistive tools or the innovation in service and so on, has been increasing significantly over the years. So what I really want to mention is that it is very hopeful that there are these amazing experts getting into uh, our Parkinson's sector and realizing the importance of us supporting them from the beginning while they're um, living with Parkinson's is uh, really exciting and promising. Now, Rory also has one of your devices and he had lots of good things to say about your company and uh, including that it was, the product was beautifully designed. But he did say that he couldn't be entirely sure exactly how it was helping him. That's not to say that it isn't helping him, but he's relatively early stage. Is, is this device more for people that have very severe symptoms? That's a great uh, comment. And I love uh, like people who are authentic about the, um, the result that they're seeing because it varies. Everyone with Parkinson's are different. And it's very important for us to realize who is it helping more and who 
they're not seeing much benefit because what we want to do as a company is we uh, dis uh, like let people know that these are the expectations that you can have with the device. And we're constantly doing more study around this. Um, I have to say that it, the device actually helps more as the symptom progresses. So we will be seeing more um, uh, impact of the device over the stages of Parkinson's, depending on the Honya uh, Parkinson's stage. Uh, we are seeing the most benefit around two, three, four. Early stage, they was realized less. It's fair enough because they see less symptoms as well. But what we are doing is that we... As a company, we promise people that um, if you don't see the benefit, then we will obviously make sure that you don't have to uh, worry about it because we will be giving full refund because we want to make sure the device works for you. If it doesn't, we will come to you and try to adjust the stimulation together with you. But even then, if it doesn't work for you, we will record that as a research. This profile of people did not see much of benefit and share that with the uh, rest of the community, our uh, members of Parkinson's. A quick message from our sponsor. Access to high quality and cost-effective talent is one of the biggest growth obstacles facing companies. DZ exists to solve this problem. In a challenging market, businesses need to focus on reducing overheads, all while pushing for meaningful growth. DZ's one-to-many model provides access to an ecosystem of hand-picked development teams, engaged on a flexible basis and at competitive rates. Visit dz.com slash UKTN for an exclusive 10% discount for all podcast listeners. So how many people do you actually have using the device? I know you also have a waiting list. So, so how many people do you have on the waiting list as well? Yes, so we've got a waiting list of over 12,000 now, which has been growing significantly. And it's quite interesting that we started from people with Parkinson's getting on the waiting list, but now it's actually the institutions getting on with the clinicians and researchers, physiotherapists getting onto the waiting list. We now have um, over 900 people in the UK, um, some um, across the world where the a neurologist and Parkinson's specialist prescribe the device for a self-use medical device in their countries. But um, we are quickly scaling up the production. And the, the early this year, it's all about getting the production scaled up so we don't make people wait. We are on the process of getting the FDA clearance as well so we can make sure that people in the US and other countries can get the device the waiting list is coming from over 120 countries. So lots of things that we need to do. Yeah. So that's one of the things that you're looking to do next, I guess, scale up into the US and Asia. And you mentioned that, you know, to do that, you're going to have to get some of the manufacturing up to speed. So what are the challenges of, of growing your business globally? The challenges, are, which is also a very important challenge is, Initially, as a medical device uh, company, we have to be certified as our ISO 1345 standards. So we are adhering to uh, the practice of a good uh, manufacturer. And the other thing is the medical device regulations. So we are a CE uh, medical device regulated in the UK and EU, and we are working on the, the registration of the each countries as well. Some of the countries, um, if it is regulated in the EU, they will take on the CE marking, but some countries you have to kind of take the process. So 
Um, I wouldn't say it's a challenge. It is a challenge in a way that it's time consuming where we want to get the devices uh, to people as soon as possible. However, it is very necessary. The medical device regulation is there to make sure that the device is developed with safety and efficacy. So it's very important for the companies like ourselves to adhere to that, to make sure that the patients are protected. So I have to say it's necessity. It's our job to make sure that we can get all those information for the regulators to prove our device, to get the devices for them. So the challenge, I guess, is that um, we are a small company, meaning that uh, lots of team members have to work very, very hard, but we've got incredible team. We've got about four quality and regulation specialists in the team now who's constantly working on getting the devices for people around the world. Now, you raised $10 million in funding in 2021. So are you looking to raise more money and and explain a little bit more about the business model? Yes, of course. So we are um, currently B2C where people can uh, get the devices as a non-invasive device. However, we are quickly working towards the B2B to work with NHS in the UK and insurance companies like Medicare, Medicaid, in the US. So that's the effort that we're going into. So moving from B2C to B2B um, to make sure that the people uh, don't have to uh, worry about um, paying for it. So we've been getting incredible support from Eastern Assan Institute where they were helping with the health economic analysis, clinical trial data collections and so on. At the moment, yes, we did raise in 2021. We will are likely to be opening another round moving forward so that we can scale up to meet with this um, moving uh, from the medical device to the whole platform moving forward. So it's it's an exciting times. We are uh, paying attention and staying focused into what we want to deliver to people with Parkinson's and people around them, including patients, payers and also providers. So what's the difference between the medical device and the platform? Explain how those two things work. Yes, of course. So the medical device is an hardware that provides the intervention to improve their movement. The platform that we're providing is that we're gathering the um, individual's information data where we can look into what kind of benefit that we can give more by tailoring the care, what kind of physiotherapy will be helpful for them, what kind of information that we can give to them and how we can give better support by get, getting an insight to their individual lives. So what we are currently doing is with the next generation of the hardware and the software, we'll be gathering the data and basically providing the information so that the uh, people can have more insight into what will be helpful for them. And also the clinicians can have informed uh, decision making. So that's where we are getting into and they're very much in a development phase. Now, you mentioned data. Obviously, data is a huge thing in the whole new wearables and medtech market. And it comes with some issues, right? You know, this is very sensitive patient data. How can people be sure that the data they're giving away to device makers, which are private companies, is shared in the right way? How can they be sure it's secure? There's a lot of question marks over data of this nature, isn't there? Definitely. And also, as mentioned once again, like for Sharko, um, the regulation and compliance is number one priority. And once again, it is because we really value the importance of the regulations and the the compliance. So what we will be constantly doing as we are doing right now, we will be, um, as mentioned, we're a small team with a lot of regulators and lawyers. And the reason is because we want to make sure that the patient data is protected 
and we are making sure that we are managing them accordingly. More widely, do you think, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that perhaps aren't taking the same care that you are. Do you think that more needs to be done to regulate these, not just the device makers, but anybody in the area of med tech? Is there enough regulation out there? Uh, that's a great question, and it's, it was actually one of the topics that uh, got brought up with the like industry leaders and regulators a couple of days ago. And I think it's really important that we go hands to hands. And the reason because is that if one is more advanced than the other, it can really hinder each other. So if the technology is flying and the regulation is not following, then it will hinder the, the innovation. Whereas if the regulation is already so high that it doesn't allow the technology to follow, then the innovation won't happen. So what I believe is really important for us to work together with the regulators and understand how we can make sure that there's innovation, but the innovation is happening whilst we make sure that it is safe and it is, you know, for people and we don't bring in any risk, if that makes sense. So I think it, it, it's exciting that there's a lot of um, technology, you know, algorithms and everything coming up. But it's really important that we work together with regulators to make sure that we balance between the innovation and the safety and efficacy, which is the most important thing. Of course, yeah. And, and are you seeing, you, you mentioned earlier some of the differences between EU regulation and UK regulation. Are you seeing vast differences between different geographies, so the US, Asia, Europe, the UK, in how they're approaching this kind of area? In a way that it is different, in a way that we have to, you know, format it differently or they have different requirements like one to three. But overall, like it is once again, as mentioned, it's the efficacy and it's the safety of the device and the intervention that we are making. So the overall, what they're looking into is the same. But what we have to do is we make sure when we are applying for FDA, it's adhering to that guidelines. And when we are applying for, for example, South Korea, we are taking their kind of route. I think one of the things that are interesting is that a clinical trial. So depending on each country, some of the countries will ask that they want like um, that their site. So in a clinical trial that is done in their country, which is fair enough. So what we were able to do is talk with the regulators and ask them, okay, we've got this many data and uh, clinical trials and so on from this area. Do you also need ones from your country as well? So as an effort, for example, for um, FDA, we are also preparing a clinical trial in the US as well. And also the, the, the size of the trial also differs as well, where they will be asking, okay, based on this much, um, like a lot of data that you've got, we only need to see maybe a small scale trial. So overall, the answer is that I do see a lot of similarities, but there is um, absolutely a difference in between of how they want to see it. What would you say your sort of biggest focus is going to be as a company for 2023 then? Is it the scaling up and going to different geographies? Is it trying to get on board more medical companies and the NHS? What, what's the focus? The focus always will be quality, quality, quality. And I always talk to our team members about quality device, quality evidence, quality service that we pride for, provide for people with Parkinson's. So the reason why I always talk about quality is now we have started in a great way that there's 900 people using it, but there will be thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of people across the world who will be using the device. So scaling 
while we make sure that the quality is there is going to be my absolute focus and um, absolute focus from the um, Shaoko team members as well. Now, you're obviously a very responsible company, but the area of med tech is full of companies that perhaps aren't quite as responsible as you, which can be a nightmare for patients. You know, if you've got a debilitating condition and somebody is offering you an instant cure, it, it can be very tempting. What's your thoughts around how we kind of teach people, I suppose, to go to the right places when there's so much out there that is, is offering them solutions? So that's a great question and it's really important. Um, so for Shaco, you'll be able to see that in our team that we're all research background, we've got clinicians and so on, where we constantly validate our uh, device. What I always mention is that if we're not providing benefit for people, then we should not waste their time. We should never waste their um, uh, cost or so on. And it's very, very important that we are authentic to our audience who are using the devices and also the clinicians. So what we're constantly doing is that we show what we're seeing uh, directly and we let people with Parkinson's talk as to us saying that it was brilliantly. When it comes to the other, um, as you mentioned, some of the companies where they have less evidence, let's say, I think this is why regulations is actually really important. The regulations keeps the industry regulated, as it exactly say, to make sure that there's efficacy and there is a safety out there. We do hear from people with long-term conditions where they mention about they're just going to try X, Y, and Z. What we always make sure is that unless it's verified and it needs to go through a rigorous testing and evidence-based intervention, we wouldn't be sharing. So we are very cautious about that. And the thing is, as you mentioned, making sure that we don't provide false hope because we are working with people with long-term conditions. As you mentioned, it's already very, very difficult for anyone to develop something that is just generating hope when there's not enough evidence. It, it should be stopped. Now, the other main treatment for Parkinson's that uh, is invasive is deep brain stimulation involving the use of electrodes attached to the brain. And this idea that we're increasingly connecting our brains to machines is something that has attracted the attention of Elon Musk. He's got a company called Neurolink, which initially aims to help people with debilitating neurological conditions. What are your thoughts around Neurolink, which is quite a controversial company, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And also, if I may share that the technology and I kind of feel like I'm a big advocate of regulation, but once again, the technology advanced like lots of uh, these algorithms coming in and also going into deep brain stimulation. There's incredible devices out there where deep brain stimulation devices are also improving, like whether it's a you know, battery or specification or the function of it, it is improving. So what, if I may share, is that on my thought is that it is exciting times. There are lots of developments going on, whether it is, you know, neural link, whether it's deep brain stimulation and medical devices, where it used to be lots of the design engineering product interventions used to be more focused on assistive. But now it's moving on to intervention, which is really exciting. However, once again, through that pace of um, development, we have to make sure that we are, we are putting the safety of patients as the, the most important thing. And this is when the regulations comes in. So if we go hands to hands with the innovators, 
research is that a regulation will be able to create a big impact. So once again, it's the quality development that we want to do, making sure that we are delivering what we are promising. And Elon Musk makes no secret that whilst his company is looking initially at medical conditions, that there is potential for these sort of devices to become more about just making us superhuman, a a brain-computer interface that enhances us in all kinds of ways. What are your thoughts around that? Are are you interested in becoming a cyborg in the future? Am I interested? I actually am quite interested of like, how can we maximize our brain per se? Uh, I love studying. I love looking into all this new research. I have to say I'm really open-minded. I think this is the fundamental shako. The way that we started is because one gentleman said, when I sit on a massage chair, my symptoms improve. And we got really curious about why is that so? And that's how it led into looking into the stimulation that we realized the mechanism of actions and we are continuing the research. So I, I'm very open-minded. So I'm very much of looking forward to what's new findings and what kind of more things we can do are using technology. So I'm, I'm very excited, but also seeing them quite cautiously because we have to make sure that the patient safety comes first and we don't create false hope. Fantastic. Well, that was a very diplomatic answer, Lucy. But it's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast, I'm afraid. Thank you, Lucy, for a fascinating interview. To keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you can get in touch with me via LinkedIn or Twitter at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. A quick message from our sponsor. Access to high quality and cost-effective talent is one of the biggest growth obstacles facing companies. Deezy exists to solve this problem. In a challenging market, businesses need to focus on reducing overheads, all while pushing for meaningful growth. Deezy's one-to-many model provides access to an ecosystem of hand-picked development teams, engaged on a flexible basis and at competitive rates. Visit deezy.com UKTN for an exclusive 10% discount for all podcast listeners.